You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today we're going to talk about religion and spirituality, but first let's catch up on life lately. What's new with you, Sarah? I am struggling through January, but we're almost done. We're recording this on the second to last day. And I have been thinking a lot about what makes January feel so hard so that I can use that information in the future. Mm -hmm. The conclusions I've come to, I'm not sure are ones that I can take action on, but I do think it helps give me some perspective. Mm. And what I've decided is that it is the amount of friction for anything that I want to do. It's putting on all the gear and then wherever I'm going, having to take off all the gear. And there isn't always a place to put things like snow pants, plus your hat, plus your mittens. We went to an event as a family and I brought a big Ikea bag so we could put all our coats and snow pants in there and carry it around, which isn't that convenient, but was better than us holding it in our hands. Yeah, totally. (laughs) It's having to take the bike lights off and on because it's dark so much earlier, taking the battery off the electric bike. And none of these things take that much time. They're all maybe 30 seconds, a minute or two maximum, Uh but it's the cumulative effect of all of those things that makes me very much look forward to the ease of warmer weather. Yeah. What is new with you, friend? I wanted to give a night shift update. Night shift is going pretty well. Yay. I love the flexibility that it offers for seeing my kids. Mm. Most mornings I'm able to get home in time to walk with the whole family to school, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. It's really lovely to see the kids and visit with them on that walk. And then Andrew and I get a little bit of time on the 10 minute walk back home. Mm -hmm. And then I come home and sleep. And then I get the kids from aftercare, like between four and five. And then we Mm -hmm. have an hour or two where we eat dinner together and talk about their day. And I kiss them goodnight and then I go to work. Mm -hmm. And then my schedule is set up so that mostly I have either two nights in a row or three nights in a row. I don't have Mm -hmm. any just single nights. So I'm able to switch back and forth pretty well to like a normal schedule on the days that I'm not working. And I really like it. So not only am I a fan of the nursing three-day work week where Mm -hmm. I work three 12-hour shifts, but I'm also a fan of getting to see my kids so much on days that I work. You thought this would be a good schedule and I'm so glad that it is. I know. Isn't that validating when it works Mm -hmm. out how you think it's going to? (laughs) Love when that happens. Now let's talk about what we've been reading. Sarah, what's your book? At the start of the year, I read The Good Part by Sophie Cousins, and I loved her first book. And then the next two, I was a little iffy on, Mm -hmm. but I loved this one again. It is about Lucy Young, who is struggling in her late 20s with annoying flatmates, terrible dates, being on the bottom of the food chain at work. And one night she gets fed up, finds a wishing machine, and wishes to get to the good part of her life. Then she wakes up the next day, 15 years older. I normally do not like sappy, feel-good books, but this one really worked for me. It reminded me a lot of the movie About Time, Mm. which we both love, Mm -hmm. and just a good reminder to cherish the challenging and joyful parts of your life Uh in a way that didn't feel pedantic to me, even though perhaps it would 
to other people because it was fairly heavy handed. When I was listening to this book, I knew that you were going to read it soon, too. Mm -hmm. And I really wondered what you were going to think, because I feel like it does go either way. Yeah, for sure. My only criticism is that the scenes right after the jump felt slow to me. The readers knew what happened, but the character was slow to catch up. Mm. That said, I think it was necessary for the plot to move forward. I would recommend this, especially for readers who like Barry McFarlane. Cousins' writing style, dialogue, and characters are very similar. I thought it was a great read that brought me a lot of joy during the early, cold, dark days of January. Mm -hmm. What have you been reading? I listened to Being Human, an Unrepentant Memoir of a Disability Rights Activist by Judith Human. So Judy Human is a disability rights activist who became disabled after she had polio at 18 months. And I think she was born in the late 1940s. So she grew up in the time before there was any legislation protecting Mm -hmm. disabled people. Mm -hmm. And so... The book sort of starts with her early childhood in the 1950s when she wasn't able to go to school. Mm. And what she perceived as a child about that time and how her parents dealt with it. Mm -hmm. And then it follows her life as she becomes an activist and eventually works in government in support of disability rights. Mm -hmm. I loved hearing about her life and how many things she did. I mean... So many incredible things. She was a part of the longest occupation of a government building ever, for instance. But also the background of disability history was absolutely essential. This is another book where when I read it, I was like, wow, we really should have learned this in Mm -hmm. school. This is such a part of our history. And I honestly felt foolish that I didn't know the history sooner, but I am so thankful I know it now. Yeah. And I'm so thankful to have gotten it in this really compelling package that was her life story. Mm-hmm. Judy Human has since passed away. I think she died in 2021, but her legacy lives on in so many things. And this is a must read. Let's move on to our topic for today, religion and spirituality. We're going to start by talking about what our religious and spiritual lives were like growing up. I grew up attending a Presbyterian church. This was a PCUSA, not PCA, so the mainline version of Presbyterianism. I think my parents started attending that church because it was around the corner from where they lived when they first moved to Columbia. I don't think it was really based on specific religious beliefs. It was more based on convenience. We went to church most weekends growing up, and I was involved in the youth group there from third grade on and also participated in the kids' handbell choir. But religion really was not something we talked about at home. It was we went to church and did church things, and then we came home, and it was separate. Huh. We would say a prayer before dinner. Either my sister or I would say it. We took turns, and it was the same prayer we said every night. We would say, thank you, Father, for this food and for this nice day. Amen. And that is the extent of religion in our household. (laughs) So interesting. (laughs) Once we turned a certain age, we had more agency over whether we attended church or not. I really liked going to church, and I had a lot of questions. Mm. And so I continued going throughout high school. And usually my mom came with me as well. 
A another part of my religious upbringing was attending church camp from the summer after third grade until I think the summer after eighth grade. This was about 45 minutes away from where we grew up, and it was a Presbyterian church camp, but there's a wide spectrum of beliefs mm-hmm. within Presbyterianism, mm-hmm. the same in lots of mainline churches. You can have a very liberal church, you can have a very conservative church, and yeah. the people who ran this church camp were very conservative and evangelical. So this was my first introduction to things like altar calls and the idea that you need to accept Jesus into your heart and ask him to forgive you for your sins, and then you could go to heaven and otherwise you'd burn in hell. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that was a lot to take in, especially because religion wasn't something we talked about at home. So I left feeling very concerned for my family. And I stayed up at nights worrying that our house would burn down and then my family would be in hell. Mm. But I also didn't really believe that you needed to do this in order to get to heaven or that there was a heaven or hell. Mm. But then I was worried, well, what if there is a hell? I certainly don't want to go there. Right. So I felt very conflicted from that whole experience. And I think that's what put me on this path of wanting to go to church wanting to ask questions, Mm. wanting to learn more, because the questions felt so big and present in my life. Yeah. Where my sister attended the same camp. And I think for her, it was very social. And she just took what she wanted to from it and left all the other things behind, Uh where it felt very much like an existential crisis for me to have to navigate my way out of. So as I went through high school, I remember doing a lot of that questioning and pushing back. I attended some different churches with a friend who came from a different religious background. She attended a contemporary service church with a Mm -hmm. conservative theology, where I attended a more liberal theology church with a traditional service. Uh And we spent maybe a summer or a semester going to different churches every week and seeing what they were like. So that was really interesting. I love that y'all did that. I have a couple specific memories of youth group, of there being conversations, and me saying, well, does it really make sense that most of the world is going to hell? (laughs) Because we got some more conservative youth group leaders towards the end of my time. And I do not remember those questions being welcomed. (laughs) I bet not. Yeah. (laughs) Yet, as a teenager, that certainly did not stop me. (laughs) And I think I've always had this feeling, too, that if you believe something, You should welcome questioning. Yeah. It should be able to hold up to questions from teenagers and other people. Mm -hmm. And so I felt very justified. Although looking back, (laughs) there was probably a better way to go about it than the way that I did. Huh. I think all of these questions and my own working through it is part of why I became a religion major in college. I was not planning on that going in. And then I took a class my first semester and it was my favorite class. I found it really fascinating and decided to go in that direction. And I think it was really helpful for me to solidify what I believed and how to incorporate that in my life. I think the department was quite liberal and I really loved that at first. It felt really refreshing. Mm. But by the end, I wanted something more. I felt like Of course, all religions have value. Of course, there are lots of ways to engage with a higher power and to think about how that can be part of your life. 
But what are we doing now that we've established that? It felt like Mm. it really stayed on that level. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to move forward with action instead of being stuck in the, isn't it great that we're so accepting phase Mm -hmm. and move to what does that mean for us? And I think the Lilly program was a big part of that. It was the Methodist service part of our college experience. Mm -hmm. I think they really tried to answer those questions about what do we do? What does faith look like in action? I also loved attending chapel on Wednesday nights. Mm -hmm. You and I often attended together. We did. And there were usually only about a dozen people, but it just felt so lovely. And having that connection to organized religion felt really important to me. Mm -hmm. What were some of your early religious experiences? So both my parents grew up in mainline Protestant churches, and my mom's dad was a United Church of Christ minister. So that definitely affected our upbringing. Mm -hmm. And we started out in a UCC church, but then very early, like when I was in kindergarten, probably switched to the First Unitarian Church of Dallas. And that church is still the pinnacle of my church experience. And it was such an essential part of my upbringing as a liberal kid in the Bible Belt. It was such a gift to have a church Mm -hmm. where lots of people were not evangelical Christians, because basically I only went to school with evangelical Christians. And -hmm. if you hear that over and over again, like you can start thinking, like you were talking about sort of having this like fear of hell, you can start thinking, but what if I'm wrong? Yeah. It's a lot to have your friends think that you're going to hell. It is. That is a lot. It's a lot. And not even that they necessarily thought that, because I'm not even sure how open I was with them about mm, like what my church sure. was like. But at one point in high school, I let it slip that I didn't believe in hell. Because mm-hmm. for listeners who don't know, universalism is this idea that no one's going to hell. There is no <laughs> hell. God will save everybody, basically. That's the universal part of it. And mm-hmm. that has always really resonated with me. And they were even shooketh by the fact that I didn't believe in hell, period. Mm-hmm. So it was such a gift to have the religious education that they do there. And we had a whole year of world religions, I think in ninth grade, where we visited temples and mosques and other churches. We had this very close relationship with the Reformed Judaism congregation down the street. It was just really wonderful. I think a lot of Unitarian churches are newer churches, but That church in Dallas, I think, was founded in 1899. So it had very old history and Mm -hmm. still the sort of like high church traditional feel. But we were singing the Unitarian hymns that have all the inclusive language and all kinds of pronouns for God and lots of talking about shared heritage of liberation. And I don't think that I can replace it in looking Mm. at who I am today, in how that church and the community in that church shaped me. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, we'll talk about this a little later, but it's really hard for any other church to measure up now Mm -hmm. (laughs) to that church that I experienced as a kid. I also think it was such a gift to have a community that was not school. Yes. To be, you know, a different version of myself. I basically Mm -hmm. went to school with the same kids from kindergarten and we got more kids in middle school and more kids in high school. Yep. But things were sort of more socially fluid. 
in church. Mm -hmm. And I could just be like a different and honestly more authentic version of myself. Mm -hmm. And I feel so thankful for that. Yeah. I also felt that with youth group. And it's not that the youth group kids were some of my close friends, Uh but just having a different space and different people was really valuable. Uh Uh-huh. And I also had this really incredible experience in high school where a friend was queer and she didn't want to tell anyone. But then I was like, oh, you have to come to church with me. And I think she probably heard that and thought, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? But she came to youth group and youth group was like us sitting on couches, basically just talking about our week. Mm hmm. And went around, and I think she was one of the last ones, and she was like, I wasn't going to say anything, but this is incredible. And then she was like, and I'm gay, and I love that you're all here. And, you know, we had gay leaders, and I mean, it was Mm -hmm. just really wonderful. I feel so Mm -hmm. thankful for that. Do you go back now when you're visiting Dallas? No, my mom is not involved to the degree Mm -hmm. that she was when we were young. I have joined online, and we'll talk about Mm -hmm. that some a little later when we talk about religion and our kids. But anyway, love First Church Dallas. Shout out. (laughs) You the best. (laughs) And then like you said, I feel like the United Methodist framework, particularly the Lilly program at Hendricks, where it Mm -hmm. was service learning and it was here is what we believe, but then let's go and do things with it and let's Mm -hmm. explore what that means for our world and also for our internal selves around vocation was so lovely at Hendrix. And that community of the pastors and the other students and the professors, it was really special. It was a really big part of Hendrix for me and not something I really anticipated going in, you know, Mm -hmm. not being Methodist. I don't think I really thought that much about it when choosing Mm -hmm. Hendrix, but finding that And sharing that with you was really special. I think it was similar to how I felt about having youth group, that we both played ultimate Frisbee, Mm -hmm. and that could be a very insular group and could consume a lot of our lives. Uh And so having this other piece of people who knew me outside of that was so valuable. So valuable. And a place to go every Wednesday night and just sing beautiful songs and Mm -hmm. hear uplifting things and think in a different way, you know, not a science way or not a school way or not a Frisbee way. We just got to go sort of be. It was Mm -hmm. really special. Yep. And I think as a religion major, I was thinking about those things so much and doing reading and studying. And so getting to go to chapel where you were just experiencing, Mm -hmm. it felt like a way to set aside the intellectual side of it and just be like you were saying. Yeah. So that was really a huge part of my religious formation, too. So where are you with religion and spirituality now, Sarah? As an adult, I've attended church off and on. I love going to church. Mm -hmm. I identify as an atheist now, but I love the church community. I love people setting aside time in their week to come together. I love the intergenerational nature Mm -hmm. when there are so few opportunities to have that in our lives. I love singing the hymns. I love the ritual. I love the call and response. All of that just fills my soul to be there. And so I remember trying some Methodist churches in grad school In Austin, we attended a few churches off and on, but it really wasn't a regular part of my life until we moved to Bloomington. 
So in 2016, in the summer, we started attending the Unitarian Universalist Church here and have had some ups and downs of how frequently we're attending. Mm -hmm. We were attending really regularly. And then once the pandemic hit, the online church really did not work for me and did not fill that need of being together with people. It honestly made me feel more isolated Mm. when I would stream the service than I did when I just didn't participate at all. So over the last year, we've started getting back into going, but it's been a little hard to get the kids back into the rhythm. They got Uh really used to having the whole weekend open. And so having Sunday morning taken up by something that they enjoy and are happy to do once they're there. But the idea of going is rarely appealing to them. And some of their good friends that used to attend church stopped after the pandemic. So Uh it's been a different social scene to get back into. And so I think that's made it a little harder too. But when we were looking for churches from you, I knew about Unitarian Universalism. Mm -hmm. And we had attended a church in Austin once, but it required multiple bus rides. Mm. We had an infant and that was just not something that we maintained. Too much. Yes. But here, I knew that was what we wanted to try. Mm -hmm. It's been a really good fit. And I think it's a good fit for me and Neil. Mm. He really loves the music. And our church has excellent music, a beautiful choir. Nice. IU having the Jacobs Music School here. There's just a lot of musical talent. Oh, yeah. We both really enjoy that piece of it. And I knew I didn't want to go to a church where I had to do mental gymnastics Mm -hmm. to justify what was being said. I know there are lots of liberal accepting Christian churches, Uh but I did not want to sit in the pew and have to say, well, they're saying this, but I think about it this way. Uh Not that I need to be somewhere where they're only spouting things that I agree with, because I think part of the point of going to church is also to be challenged and expand your point of view. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the UU church is able to do that piece of it without me having to especially explain to my kids, because I can probably handle the mental gymnastics on my own, but I don't want to have to say to my kids after, well, they said this, but here's a different way of thinking about it. Uh If they're going to be going to religious education or Sunday school, I want to know that the values that are being shared are values that Neil and I share. Yeah. And I do feel that at this church. Also, really appreciate the value of social justice and action Mm -hmm. of here's what we believe and here's how we're doing that in the community. That it's not just how are you being filled up spiritually, Mm -hmm. but what does that mean for how you put those values into action? So we are not attending church and haven't for a while. But I do believe in a loving universalist higher power. And Mm -hmm. in the religion class that I took in college, we talked a lot about process theism, which is this idea of like God as sort of the ultimate good that we as people individually and a universe are spiraling toward. And I like to think Mm -hmm. about that Mm -hmm. as God. It's also been really interesting to be in religious hospitals because I've only worked in religious hospitals. So I worked in mm. a Baptist hospital and now I work in a Catholic hospital. Mm-hmm. And 
the Baptist hospital was sort of Baptist in name only, and there were chaplains and there was a daily prayer, but it wasn't incorporated into the nursing practice at all. But the Catholic mm-hmm. hospital is very much like it's mm. front and center, be the hands and feet of Jesus, and we pray and huddle before oh. we start work. Okay. I don't really feel one way or the other about it. Mm-hmm. I just find it really fascinating that this is how we're practicing as nurses. Was that clear as you went through the application process? Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. Maybe not in the application. I mean, they don't even call it a hospital business. They call it a Catholic health ministry. And that's all over the website. Mm -hmm. And that was a big part of our orientation. We had like a three-hour ethics discussion. But even Mm -hmm. when I was interviewing, talking with the manager, she was really open about it. She was like, we pray and huddle, just sort of like giving a heads up. And so I didn't feel blindsided or anything going into it. Most spaces, I think, especially in Birmingham, are Christian by default. If not overtly, like, religiously Christian, they're culturally Christian. Mm -hmm. There's, like, an assumption of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And so to be in such an overt place where they're so clear about it is honestly a little refreshing because it's not, Mm. like, assumed. Yes. All right. So let's talk about how religion looks with our children and our families. So as I said, we attend church, I would say at this point, a couple times a month, and the kids attend religious education there. So they're with us in the service for the first part and then go to the classroom. And then some services are intergenerational when they stay with us the whole time. I am really appreciating my kids being older. I remember Mm. how hard that was when we started church with a four and a two-year-old. And now it's great when we're all there together and just feels very different. When I remember before when there was an intergenerational service, we would think about whether we really had the energy to attend because it (laughs) felt like it took so much energy. Yeah. But one thing I really want for my kids is that space that is so different than what we encounter in the rest of our lives of being together. You know, nobody has their screens out. Like we're all there together listening to the same message, listening to the same songs, and having a bank of songs. Like I loved knowing certain hymns and having Mm -hmm. certain hymns and that feeling of all being together singing them was so special to me growing up. Mm -hmm. I want them to feel comfortable in that kind of space. And that kind of space has been so special to me. And I know Mm -hmm. it may not be for them and it may not be something that they want to continue, but I would like them to know that it's out there so that they can make that choice. Also, as we have mentioned, I want them to have that peer group outside of school and the intergenerational community. Yeah. So many things we do are just with our kids' age group peers. And so being in a space where they have other adults that aren't their teachers, who care about them, who know them, feels really valuable. Right now, I would say they are not incredibly enthusiastic participants, but it still feels like something important that we're offering them. I will also say that The UU Church has a really excellent sex education program called OWL, Our Whole Lives. And I have really appreciated having that kind of institutional support for Mm. a fact-based sex-positive education for our kids. It's so good. As a graduate of the OWL program, 10 of 10 recommend. (laughs) (laughs) 
So in our family, Andrew also comes from a mainline Protestant background, Mm -hmm. but we both are not interested in sort of doctrinal Christianity, like you have to believe in Jesus to be saved. That doesn't really jive for us. Mm -hmm. But like you said, the intergenerational community is huge. So when Plum was little, we attended a United Church of Christ in Chapel Hill, and we went semi-regularly for three or four months. And then the 2016 election happened, Mm -hmm. and the minister who was preaching the following Sunday just ignored it, did Mm -hmm. not even mention it, and preached on some David Brooks column instead. And David Brooks is really not my cup of tea. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So then I emailed that minister and CC'd the other two ministers. So I hadn't met the one who was preaching, but I met Mm -hmm. sort of a minister of youth and families and a co-senior pastor. Mm Mm-hmm. So I cc'd them on this email and I said, you know, I really felt disappointed that there was like this moment for an acknowledgement of collective strong feeling, whether that's grief or rejoicing. It just felt like I was really missing that. And in the Mm -hmm. prayers of the people, it seemed like other people were missing that too. And then this minister emailed me and said, hey, do you want to talk about this in person? And, you know, I was like, no, not really. I send my piece. But I was like, sure, like we're interested in being part of the life of the church. It feels reasonable to have an in-person conversation about this. Sure. So then I went to that conversation and basically this minister berated me for ceasing the other two. Hmm. They felt like I called them out mm-hmm. in front of their colleagues. And there was no acknowledgement of my initial concern It was just like they wanted to go at me Hmm. because of how I had gone about bringing up this concern. So Hmm. I was done with church at that point, and we have not been back regularly since then. Hmm. And honestly, talking today makes me think I should try the Unitarian Church in Birmingham. Mm -hmm. As I said earlier, I have very high standards (laughs) for Unitarian Church. Mm -hmm. And other Unitarian churches I've visited have not lived up to those standards But I think with wishing for spiritual community and religious education for my kids, it might be time to try again. Mm -hmm. Also, everybody's potty trained. It feels a lot less fraught Mm -hmm. to go into a new social situation with an almost five-year-old and an eight-year-old than it does even six months ago. Mm -hmm. So what we've done so far for religious education for our kids is... Programming through a very liberal mainline church here in Birmingham that does really great summer day camps. So they have two really great summer day camps that the past two summers Plum has done. And then attending the Dallas Church online during the pandemic, they had Mm. a children's hour where we got on Zoom and the children's minister read a story and then people just got to share about their week. And Plum and I did that every week for like six months. Yeah. Which was so special. And then we read lots of books about God and religion. Hmm. We have lots of picture books that are from all kinds of spiritual perspectives. Yeah. But like you said, the sort of institutionalization or formalization of religious education, I think, can only be helpful as my kids grow up. Mm -hmm. So where are you with aspirations for spiritual lives, Sarah? I have really appreciated this conversation with you because I think it has clarified some things for me about what I find so valuable about going Mm, to church. And we have been in a space of not going as frequently 
January mm-hmm. has been getting me down. It's felt very hard yeah. to bike to church in January. But it's made me think about how I think we often hear the term of people being spiritual but not religious. Uh-huh. And I feel like for me, I'm religious but not spiritual. Oh, yeah. That that God piece or connection to a higher power is not part of what I value. It's the religious ritual of being together in that space. And so that makes me want to reprioritize that again. Huh. When I'm there, I really, really love it. I do think naturally it will be easier as the weather warms up and uh-huh. when I'm done with my classes. The oh, yeah. It just feels really full right now with work that I'm trying to get done. I think that once that finishes up in May, it'll be much easier to bring that back as a routine in our lives. And I think easier in the summer, too, because there will be less, I don't want to give up a chunk of my weekend when Mm -hmm. every day is the weekend in the summer. Right. So I am looking ahead to that time as a realistic opportunity for us to bring it back regularly. I think we'll continue going sporadically before then, but trying not to put pressure on myself. And my aspiration is what I already said, that I should really try the U Church here. Mm -hmm. I think giving my kids a social community outside of school Mm -hmm. is just as important as that religious education piece. Yeah. And that I need to maybe open my mind up a little bit more Mm -hmm. (laughs) about a non-Dallas UU Church. Let's end by talking about are religious or spiritual influences. So these could be media, these could be people, these could be experiences. I think when I try and think about the influences, I sought out people who had similar views once I had already decided that Uh that was what I believed. For me, I think a driving force was the cognitive dissonance that I felt trying to make evangelical Christianity work. Because, as I said, I really didn't want to go to hell, but I also didn't want anyone else to go to hell, Uh (laughs) didn't want my family to go to hell, didn't want to be wrong about hell, but I also didn't believe in hell. And so working through that process, I really leaned on my inner knowing of this doesn't feel right. And then as I kept asking the questions, and I asked a lot of questions and talked to a lot of friends who had different beliefs than me, Uh it's like I wanted it to make sense. And so then once I think I got to that part of, okay, that doesn't make sense to me. Here's what does make sense. That's when I think I found the resources of the books and the people who support that understanding. For me, reading about how Glennon Doyle talks about spirituality Uh maybe 10 years ago when I was first finding her Uh felt really valuable to me. And then the Universalist book, If Grace is True – That to me, it was like, ah, yes, this is what makes sense. This is what I've been working towards. Yeah. What about for you? I think finding the universalist stuff that other people were writing, like you mentioned, If Grace is True, and the subheading of that book is Why God Will Save Every Person. And it's basically Mm -hmm. like biblical basis for universalism. And Mm -hmm. that was really helpful to me to find something that had a biblical basis for what I already believed Mm -hmm. So that I could be prepared for conversations with people I cared about who were concerned that I didn't believe in hell. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Glennon Doyle 
was important sort of in the early 2000s. I think it was like probably 2007-ish mm-hmm. yep. when I first found her. And she was very different then. And I know she's kind of polarizing. Yes. But for young women, having been surrounded by evangelical Christianity, she really played a role. Rachel Held Evans, who since passed mm-hmm. away, has written a lot of books. And she was evangelical and then deconstructed. Yes. Sarah Bessie is another one who's evangelical and deconstructed that I've read her stuff. And then lately, a really guiding person for me is this woman, Deanna Hollis. And I babysat for her kids when I was in Mm. high school and college. And she is a second career Presbyterian minister. So she went back to divinity school when Mm -hmm. her kids were in their teens really after I knew her, though we've kept in touch some through social media and because she still lives in Dallas. But she is the first ever minister that the Presbyterian Church has ordained specifically with the call of gun violence prevention. Mm -hmm. And I just love that she has made that her life's work, Mm -hmm. especially because conservative Christianity tends to be pro-gun. And so Mm -hmm. it's really lovely to see a Christian voice speaking out against gun violence. And then somebody that we knew at Hendrix, Andrew Pfizer, mm-hmm. who then went to divinity school at Vanderbilt. So I knew him both in college and graduate school, is also in Dallas and is a liberal Methodist pastor. And I love following him on social mm-hmm. media, too. Mm. Yep. So we'll put some links in the show notes for folks to read and learn if you want to. And listeners, we would also love to hear about your religious and spiritual experiences and lives. All right, let's finish up by talking about what we've been eating lately. I ate Torchy's tacos every day I was in Texas. Mm, so Torchy's is a Texas-based chain that has expanded. I think Kelsey of Girl Next Door was talking about how Torchies has come to Arizona. Mm-hmm. And Alabama's not that far away. So Torchies, if you're listening, we need you <laughs> <laughs> in Birmingham. I am still thinking about those tacos. My favorite is the trailer park taco, which is fried chicken. And you can get it with queso on it. It is so mm-hmm. good. I love it so much. <laughs> tacos are the best. What have you been eating, Sarah? I want to talk some more about sushi. I know I talked about this not that long ago, but I have some updates, friends. (laughs) One, it is a great dinner party idea. We had two families over over the holiday break Uh and was trying to think of things. And at first I was going to do tacos because that's my go-to. We have a lot of people. Everyone can make their own stuff. It's just very family friendly for people of all eating persuasions. Uh But these friends were both from Austin, Texas. And I was like, well... I don't feel like my tacos are going to live up to what they can experience at home. Not so impressive. (laughs) So we went with sushi. I made a big pot of the rice and chopped up cucumbers, avocado, cream cheese, smoked salmon, green onions. I steamed sweet potato. Mm. And then everybody could just make their own roll. And what came out of this was my kids actually eating sushi. And I was like, oh, (laughs) before... I would make all the rolls and Uh have them on a plate cut up, which of course is easier when you're sitting down to dinner and everything's ready. But my kids never ate them. And then Mm. they did when they got to make their own roll here. So now I do the same thing for our family where I make all the pieces. It's a little annoying at the beginning of dinner because we're all trying to use the cutting board to roll up our rolls and Uh 
It's a little bit of a mess at the beginning, but now my kids eat sushi. I love that. Feels like a big win. Just another example of how when kids have more control Mm -hmm. over the food situation, good things happen. Nice. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. You can find out more about everything we talked about today, including what we're reading and eating, in the show notes in your podcast player. You can also leave us a comment on Instagram at Friendlier Podcast or email us, friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. We always love to hear from you. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly.